Drink wide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to Free Casino Games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wad and J-Pad here with you to wrap up the week. As uh, we get a little bit of news from the Canucks today, and it's just trickling in, it seems like, daily now, J-Pat, and we love that, of course. Uh, but the Canucks announcing that their preseason schedule is now out. Six games, going to play another game in Abbotsford, and they'll be facing off against Edmonton, Calgary, and Seattle throughout the six games, J-Pat. Um, I like the fact that it's six games. I I, I don't know. Preseasons, to me, I, it... I don't know why they play so many games. I guess it's a money-making sort of thing. You maybe want to see a few extra players, but uh, to me, it's just like, let's just get this going, right? The season's long enough to tack on a, a long preseason schedule. So six, I think is enough. Yeah. I, I, there's a couple of things that jumped out at me when I saw the release. Uh, one is that look, training camp's a little bit longer this year and the preseason is shorter. And to me, that's the way it should be. The last couple of years, training camp's been three days of on ice out in Abbotsford two years ago, up in Whistler last year. They're scheduled for five days on ice in Victoria. Now, uh, what was interesting when the schedule was released is that the preseason starts while training camp is still going on. So there's some overlap there. Training camp by the dates is September 21st to the 25th over in Victoria, but the first preseason game is September 24th in Calgary. So obviously they'll send a crew, probably a pretty young group. Uh, there's the NHL quotas. you got to have uh, some roster veterans, but you know that first game, it's a road game, and it comes after three days of training camp. They'll probably get a look at some of their junior age guys, You know, let them wear a Canucks jersey for the first time, play at the Saddle Dome, um, and then... Maybe that's it. Maybe you trim your numbers from there. Uh, then games two and three are back-to-back in Edmonton and Seattle, so I would think you probably send two pretty different-looking teams there. You now, some of preseason is testing guys and making them play back-to-back, and I think it was Jack Rathbone. Was it last year or the year before? They played them every game. You know, if you're a player, I, I think you probably like that, that you can show more on the ice than you can sitting in the press box and not getting a chance to play. And if you're not playing, somebody else is, and maybe they step up. So uh, the very fact, though, that the first three preseason games are on the road and then the three home games, you know, that tells me that they're buying another week. Uh, again, I was at Rogers Arena earlier in the week. No scoreboard in there yet. Uh, they're doing the uh, renovations at ice level for that premium Sweet, the big money suite. I would think this is by design that, you know, start with three on the road. It gets you another week to make sure that the building is uh, ready to house NHL hockey. Uh, and then at that, there's only the two games at Rogers Arena and then the one game out in Abbotsford. So a fourth straight year for a preseason game in Abbotsford. This time it's the Kraken. They've done Ottawa. They've done Calgary. Remember last year we went out there. We recorded a post game, McDavid. They sent McDavid uh, to Abbotsford. So the Oilers were there last year. This year it's going to be the Seattle Kraken. That's the middle of the three home games. Um, And no split squad. And I like that. And that's part of shortening it. I mean, last year it was seven games on the schedule, but the first night was split squad. And, you know, how much really can you take out of that? So I like the fact that they've done away with the split squad. And we'll see how it all shakes down because, uh, as I said, they're going to be in Victoria for training camp. They'll send a crew I don't know if the team that plays in Calgary will come back to Victoria for the final day of training camp or if they'll just come back to Vancouver, and you know, we'll see how that all works out. But whatever the case, yeah, we now know what they're doing in the preseason. Regular season schedule is expected to be released 
sometime next week. And again, what a crazy week with the draft, the free agency, the award show, and oh yeah, they're going to roll out the uh, the schedule as well. But uh, we got a little glimpse. We have a sense of where they're going to be in the month of September, bleeding into October. And uh, I'm with you. Six is. Uh, you know, less than that from a coaching perspective, you do want to take a look at young guys and veteran guys, and you want to, you know, rest your veterans. You don't want to play them too much. And so, like, five or six to me is kind of that sweet spot. Turns out it's six. It's three against, you know, home and home with three different opponents. Like, it just works from a numbers standpoint. And uh, the one thing that the last time they had training camp in Victoria, they hosted one of those split squad games in Victoria against the Flames, and I was kind of curious to see if their training camp would end with a uh, one of their home preseason dates, but it will not. So training camp in Victoria, but there will not be NHL exhibition action in Victoria, at least not this year. Not going to be wearing special themed night warm-up jerseys in warm-up anymore. This uh, announced yesterday, uh, Gary Bettman telling that to Elliot Friedman and... Listen, the the theme night jerseys are going to happen still. Like you're still going to be able to purchase them. They're just not going to wear them in warm up anymore. This is across the NHL for any of the themed nights. Gary Bettman called it a distraction that they just didn't want. And again, that it's so NHL to use that term, and it's very Gary Bettman to use that as well. They do the same thing when it comes to head injuries. They just no, it's not our problem, right? So yeah, those are those are a distraction too. Apparently. Yeah. So I, I mean, listen, I do understand what the commissioner's saying. I don't agree with it though, right? And to me, the distraction in itself was the what two to three percent of players that not even I don't even think it was that high of players that didn't want to wear. And with, I don't even think we got to double digits. It was yeah. like so, seven or eight guys. Again, I, listen, it's to me, it's it's a bit ridiculous. I, I think the whole thing, and, and it's not only Pride Night, right? And this is, I think, the, the biggest focus is those Pride jerseys, and that's really the distraction because you don't really hear a lot of people uh, not wanting to wear any of the other ones. But to me, listen, it's hockey's supposed to be for everyone, and you might not agree with it, but it it still shows that you you know you can you can allow the game to be for everyone and one of the things that comes to mind for me when i think about this and when you hear gary bettman say that like there are gay players in the league they might not have come out yet but you'd be kidding yourself if you think that there's not gay players in the league what do you think they're thinking about when they see that especially since the fact that you know a lot of them probably can't feel like they can't come out because of the parameters that hockey sort of sets on them. So to me, the whole thing is just a bit ridiculous. And again, they're just sweeping it under the rug by, you know, using the term distraction. Yeah. And look, I mean, the NHL wants you to believe that hockey's for everyone. And then they have decisions made like that. And clearly it isn't. And, you know, they throw the blanket over all these special event nights, but you know it and I know it, that this is all about pride night that, um, you know, and so, you're right. I mean, the numbers would suggest that a group of 700 to 1,000 males that play hockey in the National Hockey League, there's probably some gay players that, you're right, haven't come out yet. And so, you know, again, it just kind of shows you the bravery of a guy like Luke Prokop to do it at the Western Hockey League level, and he looks like a legit prospect that's going to work his way up the the Nashville Predator system. So we, you know, we may have a a name and a face playing in the National Hockey League who is publicly out. But but yeah, I mean, the numbers would just suggest that there are others. Certainly, there would be players that have brothers or sisters or family members. Uh, again, uh, Pride Night's the flashpoint here. But what does it say to Ethan Bear 
the, think of the pride that he took in wearing an indigenous night jersey or Dakota Joshua with Black History Night. And you're telling those guys as well uh, that, nope, we're just saying across the board, uh, forget about it uh, because it's a distraction. And with Pride Night, you know, the idiots, the bigots that hide behind religion, I, I just come back to, like, do you not believe in inclusivity? Should a gay person not be welcome in the National Hockey League rink? Nobody's asking you to uh, convert. Nobody's asking you. You're not going to turn gay by wearing a pride jersey. But can you not show acceptance and inclusivity and just roll out a welcome mat for anybody to feel comfortable in and around your sport? And it's not just... Pride night, like we live in a melting pot here in Vancouver. Like it's great. The Canucks have taken a lead with South Asian night and Lunar New Year night. And like, I look forward to those nights, like 41 home games. I like the fact that they mix it up and they have these special theme. Like they, they, they have become a, a central part of the Canucks calendar in my mind each and every year. So I do hope that the Canucks plow forward and still host the nights, support the causes promote, uh, amplify, all those types of things. And when it comes to the jerseys, I hope that they still create jerseys. I'd go so far as to have the players wear them the day before in practice, and they can, you know, be practice-worn as opposed to warm-up-worn, but they can autograph them, they can sell them, they can generate money that they can, you know, so donate to causes and all those types of things. So, uh, look, uh, to me, the NHL... Uh, this was the chicken way out, but I'm not surprised because we've seen them do this before. Uh, you know, confronted with anything where they should take a stance, they just want to bury their head in the sand and hope that it goes away. And so uh, to label it a distraction to me was just a massive insult overall. And look, we're not going to con- convince those that, like, I'm sure some are listening, you guys are snowflakes, whatever. No, I want the game to be for everybody. I want the game, t- I want anybody that loves the game to feel wanted and comfortable around the rink. And um, I, I just think that the like for a lot of people, the warm-up jerseys had become a part of those nights as well. So uh, I think the NHL blew it on this one. And what I'd love to know, but probably will never find an answer, is did anybody in that room of governors, did anybody have the balls to stand up and say, you got this one wrong, Gary. Like, this isn't leadership. Like, I... I you know, I represent one of 32 clubs in this league. I want to move forward. Like, did anybody offer any resistance to the commissioner? Well, from what I understand, there was very little presence at the Board of Governors meeting amongst uh, journalists or any sort of reporters. Like, uh, Elliot Friedman said on his 32 Thoughts that he was the only one down there. And then that's a sign of the times of what's happening with our our, our um, media landscape. But you're absolutely right. I would love to hear that, too. But... Again, like it's just it's so NHL to just coin it as a distraction and then just say, nope, we're just we're going to leave it alone. I was thinking about this today because, you know, the Calgary Flames just seems like everybody's trying to jump ship there and started to think, you know, maybe there might be perhaps a trade for the Vancouver Canucks involving the Calgary Flames. Seeing the name like Tyler Toffoli and we know how Toffoli enjoyed his time in Vancouver, started thinking to myself, could there be something there, J-Pat? Perhaps maybe a Connor Garland moving over there, taking Toffoli on that last year of his contract. It's four and change. Like, 
Could you see something maybe brewing between the Canucks and the Flames? I know Hannafin wants to go to the States, so there's that. But maybe something involving Tyler Toffoli. I'd, I'd love if the Canucks were sniffing around on Elias Lindholm, but I don't think that they have the pieces for that. So what do you think? I, like, I, I don't get this. Is this a Vancouver-only thing where people just want to repatriate every single Canuck that left town? And I, I'm not knocking you necessarily because you're – like lots of people mention the, you know, whether it's Troy Stetcher, whether it's uh, this time Tyler Toffoli, Luke Shan. Like I mentioned Stetcher yesterday. No, I know. Like, <laughs> this team hasn't been good for a decade. Like, why are we in such a hurry to bring all of these guys back? And I like Tyler Toffoli a ton. Like, Tyler Toffoli had a career year in Calgary last year. He scored 10 more goals than any Calgary Flame. Like, they need goal scorers. And so that's got to be a blow to them that, you know, he's the latest guy that wants out. Um, you know, the affordable ticket that he signed right after he walked out the door on the Vancouver Canucks after the bubble. Um, you know, he, he's not a flashy guy. He's just effective. He just gets it done, uh, at 31. Like, I think there'll be a lot of trade interest in Tyler Toffoli, but he's a winger. Like, so I, I'm not sure I follow on your Garland thing other than Garland's got term and maybe the flames need to find guys that have term. Like is Calgary now Winnipeg, I guess. And, and. Like that surprises me a little bit just because outside of the Saddle Dome, I think the city of Calgary offers an awful lot. But I mean, these guys have their reasons, clearly, if whether they all got together or if this is all, you know, done individually. Uh so Garland with term, I guess. Um, but he makes more than Toffoli, and he's not nearly as productive as Tyler Toffoli. But you get out from under the contract. And the reason why I suggest that is because Toffoli's got the one year left. He did like playing here. And with Garland, you get out from underneath the contract for everything you just said there about the Flames too. Like, it looks like they're going to need guys because guys are jumping ship. It would probably require a sweetener, but then you'd get out from underneath it and then you'd get out from underneath that. You'd, you'd have that whole uh, salary after Toffoli's done as well. So, you know, and maybe he, Toffoli's a piece you move at the deadline. Like, there's a, there's a lot you could work with uh, with a trade there for Tyler Toffoli, I believe. Well, I, I guess the most attractive thing would be the term for the Flames if they like the player. But let's be honest, Connor Garland is not Tyler Toffoli. Like, they're not even in the same category in terms of goal scoring. Uh, Toffoli had 73 points, I think, and makes a million less almost than than Garland. So, yes, it would require a sweetener. You're not looking at straight up one for one. There's no way. Garland in a third? I don't think that gets done. Like, I think if you're Calgary, you need a goal scorer. You're trying to replace 34 goals. Connor Garland isn't your guy. In like Connor Garland can bring his, you know, whatever, 50 points, but he's not Tyler Toffoli. He's not going to lead the Calgary Flames in scoring. So the Flames are over a barrel. Uh, they may not have a ton of leverage. You know, is there a framework there or like a starting point? Maybe. But again, just this idea of, and, and I like Tyler Toffoli, the player, but I just, the idea of bringing back a bunch of guys uh, just because they played here once, I, like to me. No, no, no. That's not, that's not, that's not the reason why I'm thinking this though. It, again, you, you're going to get out from underneath Garden Garland's got contract. That's really essentially what it's all about. Well, I think if the Canucks would do that in a heartbeat. If it was straight up Garland for Toffoli, they'd take a year of Tyler Toffoli at four and a quarter. Uh, I mean, that's an upgrade. Like that's a top line winger and a first unit power play guy. And Connor Garland's not that on the Vancouver Canucks. So yeah, the Canucks would take the upgrade in player and move off the final three years of that contract without a doubt. The Flames aren't doing that trade. So it would require absolutely other components from the Vancouver side of of the deal. Where do you think the Flames are going then with this? 
Like, are they gonna are they gonna have to strip it down? Or I, I know they've committed to Hebrido and yeah. I mean, it feels that way. Like, you know, I'm not Craig Conroy, but I think I'm glad I'm not Craig Conroy right about now. Craig Conroy is a guy that always has a smile on his face. I don't know if he's got that smile on his face right about now. Um, you know, they were able to hire some assistant coaches, so they got that going for them. But uh, in terms of you know who they put on the ice and what they put on the ice and what do you get, you know, like Elias Lindholm. And Tyler Toffoli and Noah Hannafin would all have significant trade value. There's no question. Michael Backlund at this stage of his career, I think he's 34 now. Um, you know, he feels like uh, sort of one of those luxury pieces for a team that thinks it's close, that, you know, could add a guy that could come in and, and do the things that Michael Backlund does. But, um, you know, he's nearing the end of his career. So I can't imagine that there's a ton of trade value there, but yeah, I mean, I guess to me it sort of feels like what kind of rabbit can Craig Conroy pull out of his hat as an inexperienced general manager, um, and the way to go may be to go younger, to uh, trade some of these pieces or all of these pieces, uh, picks and prospects and those types of things that may not uh, you know, sit well with the fan base. Probably wouldn't sit well with a guy like Jacob Markstrom either, who you know he signed there thinking that they were close and... You know, he was part of the reason that they missed the playoffs last year. I, I, I still believe in Jacob Markstrom and think that he's a better, more consistent goaltender than he showed for, for much of last season. But, you know, when he left Vancouver and went to Calgary, I think he thought that he was joining a group that was knocking on the door of taking the next step. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Like, we know the struggles the Winnipeg Jets have had attracting free agents, retaining their own players. And it does make you wonder now, for whatever reason, like, does Calgary have to be viewed through that same lens now? Like, is Calgary an outpost? In the, like, uh, it, it, you know, it, to me, it was always Winnipeg and then Edmonton and then Calgary. And then along came McDavid and Dreisaitl. And maybe that makes Edmonton more attractive now. But it sort of feels like with this news of yesterday that Calgary almost on equal footing with Winnipeg in terms of attractive destinations that guys want to stay and play. You think there'll be any interest in Brock Besser? Yeah. I mean, that's a team that needs goal scorers and you know, you can argue that, you know, what is Brock Besser in the grand scheme of a goal scorer? Um, But, you know, he's certainly a 20 goal guy. And uh, you know, I think he and others still believe that 30 is a possibility. Yeah, I, I, I would think that maybe he's got two years left. We know that the deal's been a bit of an issue, uh, more than a bit of an issue, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the Calgary Flames have to be looking at anybody that has that label of goal scorer uh, because ultimately, I think it was in the eyes of a lot of people in hockey, the Flames were a team that you know underperformed, underachieved last year, but they got rid of what we thought was the problem in Daryl Sutter. And I think people thought that that was a group that had the potential to be a bounce-back candidate in the Pacific Division in the Western Conference and still possessed a ton of talent. And now, like, all bets are off. And so, you know, if they do strip it down there, you know, maybe that's one less team that the Vancouver Canucks are going to have to worry about as they try to plot their course for a playoff spot. Like, maybe the Flames recognize that for the next couple of years, they're really going to have to take a step back here and sort of go the route of the San Jose Sharks or the Anaheim Ducks or, you know, some of the other teams in the division that uh, would admit that they're just not at the level of those others that that believe they're playoff contenders. Or they make themselves some good trades. And they're able to, you know, flip these pieces that they do have and get some pieces back. You know, some hockey trades perhaps are out there. But yeah, they're over a barrel right now. So they're going to be 
uh, tough to pull that off. Right. But I think for them, if it's about retaining players, then you probably want to go younger or draft picks that you draft and develop yourself rather than acquiring guys that, you know, like you mentioned Besser. Well, in two years, he's not restricted for agent. Is he going to be the next guy that like, yeah, you know, I got to play here, but I'm going to play out my contract and then I want out. So, you know, to me, it would seem like they would want younger players, players that have term and maybe high picks and prospects and those types of things that they can groom into the next generation of Calgary Flames. Who could be the next generation of Vancouver Canucks? Well, Craig Button has put out his mock draft and has Tom Willander, the right shot defenseman out of Sweden, at 11, J-Pat. Uh, he's headed to Boston University next year. We talked about him on a previous pod, but uh, you know Button's pretty dialed in when it comes to uh, his uh, draft uh, lists and, and, and mock drafts. Tom Mulander kind of checks a bunch of boxes for the Canucks. And as I said, right shot D and we, we feel like the Canucks should draft uh, through priority as opposed to uh, best player available. But this one kind of checks all those boxes for him. And at 11 with button, having him at 11 there. I mean, that could be the guy that the Canucks ultimately pick. Yeah. It's a name that uh, has been linked to the Canucks. Uh, apparently they wind and dined him at the uh, combine in Buffalo, uh, this is one of the big risers of the draft since the middle stages of uh, you know the the midterm releases and rankings and um, yeah I mean right shot defenseman right there checks off a couple of boxes we know that the Canucks haven't used a, a first round pick on a defenseman since Quinn Hughes um, absolutely an area of need so you get to eleven you still want to believe best player available but we know this year that. You know, if the best player available is a winger, it just doesn't feel like the Canucks are going to go down that road with Lecker or Mackey and Pod Colson and Hoaglander and Klamovich. I mean, those are recent wingers that they have selected. They need to come out of this draft with either a center or a defenseman uh, out of that first round. So, yeah, I mean, Willander makes sense on a lot of levels. Uh, Patrick Alvin is a Swede. The Canucks with a long history of Swedes. Uh, wouldn't you know, look at Mackey last year. It wouldn't surprise me if, if, if those dots are all connected now. Uh, the top of the draft is really interesting when it comes to defensemen. I mean, I think most people, the consensus is David Reinbacher is the guy, but where does he go in a draft that is loaded with forward talent? Like it's possible there's only one defenseman taken in the top 10, that Axel Sandin Pelica, uh, you know, where does he slot in? Uh, and then Dmitry Simishev is the Russian that a lot of people think might actually be the best defenseman available in the first round, but... Uh, you know, our team's laying off Russians, there's the commitment and the K, all those types of things um, that make him a little bit of a wild card. But again, we've heard that the Canucks like him an awful lot as other teams do. So uh, I, I think for me, this is one of the storylines is, you know, what happens in the top three? We talked yesterday, is Mitchkoff a complete wild card? And if so, then all you know, the draft goes to hell essentially at that point. Um, but where do the defensemen go? Who's available when the Canucks pick 11th? And if they've got their pick of defensemen, my sense is that they will prioritize defensemen over a center, but that Nate Danielson out of Brandon is a guy that, you know, I, I know the Canucks like, and they too have met with him. He's definitely on the radar. I think we'll see how it plays out but just this is not the year for the Vancouver Canucks to use uh, an 11th overall pick on a winger. They've just, we, there's a log jam at the NHL level and then that next layer of players as well. They've got to come out of this draft, in my mind, with a defenseman or a center if they use that uh, first pick. Button's got Reinbacher at eight. 
Sandine Pelica at 10, just before the Canucks pick there. So, and then the uh, Shimashev at 24, actually, which is interesting. But yeah, you're right. There's there's definitely people that are uh, pausing when it comes to uh, drafting Russians right now. It'll be interesting to see exactly what the Canucks do. But I think you're right, though, in in, in terms of like, they can't get another winger at this point. And, you know, Zach Benson is a name, local product that a lot of people are buzzing about. He's at 13 on Button's board. I don't know, though. (laughs) Just where does Button have Ryan Leonard? Ryan Leonard is at seven. Oh, okay. He feels, and Mitchkoff at four there as well. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a side plot to this whole thing. And we spent one pod not that long ago talking about uh, all of the BC guys at the top of the draft and guys with connections to Vancouver. Samuel Hanzik is really interesting. I think in a lot of other years, a Vancouver giant in projected to go in the top half of the first round, Canucks picking 11th. I, I could see that happening. But this year, for all the things that I just said, Hanzik is a winger, and I just don't think he is a fit. But some year, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that some year the Canucks will select a top prospect off of the Vancouver Giants and sort of have that synergy of a guy that plays out in Langley and then gets selected uh, to play ultimately downtown. Uh, but I just don't think it's going to be this year. All right, well, maybe we'll ask Bodog about that. They can make it a prop bet for mm-hmm. next year's draft. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. It's Friday, and that means PJ is with us, Patrick Johnson from the Province Post Media. How are you today, PJ? Beautiful, beautiful day. Very excited. Summer, feeling everything. <laughs> Boy, you, you sound enthused. I'm Not really pumped. there, though. <laughs> I'm pumped. I'm pumped. <laughs> All right. Are well, you pumped about preseason games? I saw you uh, writing about it. And <laughs> listen, six preseason games. Honestly, when I saw your piece as well, I was thinking to myself, like, 10 exhibit like you don't need that i like six preseason games i think it's the perfect amount in fact i would do less but uh i know that they they want to see some guys and you know get some money into different places so uh six preseason games for the canucks this year though and i saw you writing about it. i was surprised yeah i was like the, i'm like six is pretty low and uh one time before which was a 13 14 and you know it was obviously a transitional year for this uh for this hockey club um, that was the tort season, but uh, I mean, I did find myself wondering. I felt I thought about calling up Mike Gillis and saying, "Mike, why'd you only play six games that year?" But you know what? Who wants to talk about preseason schedules more than you have to? I mean, you're right. No, we, at least they don't play ten. I mean, I, that was the thing I forgot was before the lockout in 0405. I mean, they would play ten, eleven preseason games, and you know, it was very much the era of a, that was free money. They didn't have to pay the players. 
and you know you didn't charge i mean seats obviously were you know maybe more than a regular event but seats were fairly reasonable in general and so they were just let's play some more games and people would show up i remember i remember seeing ticket holders complaining that they had to go to these games but it was you know people just used to it. five five preseason games at home i mean it's stunning to think so you're writing about the warm-up jerseys as well and just mm-hmm. curious about your thoughts on that I, I know we've talked about it in the past here but I'm a, I'm a little disappointed in the NHL myself. I can also see the other side of it. Uh, I can see why Gary Bettman uh, used the fact that it, he thought it was a distraction, taking away from some of the events. W- what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, certainly there was a distraction element, but this is caving to the distraction. You know, like, in the end, you should stick by your guns. Like, you know, Marty Walsh was on some other place on Friday morning. And was asked about it, and one of the things you know he said that you know as, he's obviously new in the job, but he says as I understand it, this was an issue before this year. You know, you think about you know Eric Stahl's reaction and him essentially lying, you know, having worn it in the past. You know, oh, I never wore this. You know, like the in the end, you're endorsing that position. As someone commented on my thing, it's like congrats to the guys that held out for standing up for cancer, because essentially that's the conclusion. Like, I did want to confirm, and I got it, you know, John Delapina confirmed to me that yes, you know, all pregame jerseys are off. And, you know, they're still gonna have the ceremonies and all that, and, you know, in the end, it's, to me, it's just, it's unfortunate the Canucks had led the way on this, you know, they obviously led the way on Pride, but in general, and obviously they saw a way to sell, make some money, sell some jerseys, and they'll still try to do that. Um, but I think it meant a lot to people, not just pride, but it meant a lot to, you know, for Indigenous Night, for Lunar New Year, you know, to see it, even if they obviously were, you know, highly pro- high priced and all this whatnot. I mean, we'll see how maybe they manage or maybe they'll do something for practice. I don't know. But it's not the same. And, and in the end, it stands out as this is a league reacting to essentially, you know, some of the reaction that we've seen, especially in the United States, but also in elements in Canada, of responding to very standard grassroots campaign, overcooking issues, making much bigger issues out of things that weren't issues, simply because it makes someone feel uncomfortable, I guess. I mean, I don't even know. And this sort of mob mentality that seems to take over now i mean i'm actually reading a book about how all these things kind of happen and it is you know it is wild that you get people riled up and they all start running off and it's just like you know you hear about the poor girl in Kelowna who literally just showed up to throw a shot put and she's got these loonies yelling at her because she has a short haircut and they they've completely lost the plot on what we're talking about here and um you know the idea that that somehow there's that there's that that you know that okay you're allowed to feel uncomfortable you don't have to agree with all this stuff but the idea that somehow you know that that is affecting you in some broader shape and that the way it affects you is more important than the, the support it shows for people who traditionally have felt marginalized who in general the message as everyone is trying to point out and the Canucks you know I think tried to emphasize you looked at Quinn Hughes standing up and you looked at Ethan Barron you looked at JT Miller you know all these guys standing up and saying why they thought it was important being allowed people I mean JT Miller essentially took the angle that you know this is a personal freedom thing like like why are we ordering people around saying you know i mean obviously you're free to oppose it and you're free to disagree but in the end you should be free to live how you want and uh you know at the end of the day this is a reaction to people saying the opposite and falling in you know falling down uh because of that and it's just it's just sad and um you know obviously you know gary bettman's has his position he doesn't want to talk about it and that was kind of his feeling and then that's what they've ended up on and um you know, obviously they sell the campaigns, and that's good, and that's important. Like that is the thing that, that was 
pressed upon to me by You Can Play when I talked to them in the wake of the Canucks actually putting out a really great event last, you know, well lauded and, you know, sort of annoying the noise and moving on from it. And, you know, look at it. Like, Andre Kuzmenko was criticized, and then we moved on. You know, he made his, you know, he sort of took his, set his position, didn't want to talk about it. That's fine. Got criticized, didn't fight. It was, you know... It's unfortunate, but life moved on, and now instead they've created like this is the thing. It's sort of it's one of those answers and solutions in search of or solutions in search of a question, and and the solution they found is just one that isn't going to make this go away. You know, it's it's, it's no, but they, they put it under the rug. That's, that's what the NHL does. Like they, yeah. that, that's why I can see Gary saying that with the oh, yeah. distraction but because it, they don't want to face anything head on, right? They want to just sweep it under the rug and pretend yeah. like it's not there. I, and that's my point is that in the end, it's not It's not like it's not going to not be talked about, yeah. you know? Like, it's still going to be there, and it's going to be talked about one way or another. And the, in the end, the choice they made, to me, leads to more criticism than you, you know, from the broader bit, from the broader community that's supposed to be supporting you, versus the alternative, which is the critics who are always going to be there. There's no doubt about that. And they are entitled to their position. You know, you don't have to agree with them, and that's that's how this all works. Um, well, Canucks have been leaders in, you know, these causes, supporting the causes. Uh, I hope that they still individually as a group push forward as an organization. As you said, like, they won't be able to wear the warm-up jerseys, but I still think there are ways around it, whether it's getting players to wear them in practices and autograph them and auction them and those types of things. And, and sort of lost in this, I mean, beyond the, the marginalized communities that feel the hit, and hockey is supposed to be for everyone, at least that's what we're told, and then we have days like yesterday, but... I feel for the artists who, like, there has been some incredible artwork created with these logos and these practice or warm-up jerseys, and what a stage and a platform for local artists to share their work, and that's why, again, I hope the Canucks commission the jerseys still to go forward and just find a different way to, you know, give these artists an outlet, you know, to to express their work uh, and to introduce it into the hockey realm that, you know, you don't necessarily mix hockey and art uh, all that often, but it, it you know, it, it, it to me that's just another avenue that sort of um, you know is impacted by all of this. So I'm curious. They can call it a distraction. Uh, it's going to be a distraction again on each of the nights because the players are going to be questioned about it and asked about it, and it's just to me it felt like the league sweeping it under the rug and burying its head in the sand again. Let's turn our attention because we're a week now. Uh, next Friday is going to be that lull between the draft and free agency. And so things are happening. I mean, we've already seen the wheels turning a little bit. You were down at the rink the other day when I was with Patrick Alvin. You know, ultimately, what jumped out at you from what you heard from the Canucks general manager? Uh, the, well, I think it was the same thing that caught everyone. That's her. Well, I'd love to move up. I mean, we see now the Capitals are moving up. And I think uh, our, my instinct certainly is, especially coupled with his reactions of all the, Ru- the Russia situation uh, was, are they going to maybe hope for Mishkov to fall to them? Because, you know, I th- certainly think, um, you know, it sounds like there is some noise and maybe people are feeling a bit cautious. I mean, obviously things are getting very interesting in Russia today, even just today. Um, but, but you know, looking at a top prospect, a guy that's sort of been, I mean, it's, it's one of those ones. Is he top three? Has he been in the top three? Where do you, you know, top five? It's certainly top five. Um, and in a draft where the, you know, obviously Connor Bedard's taking all the attention, but the guys right behind him are fantastic players, and he's one of them. Um, but, you know, the notion I, was, I picked up that it seems oh. like he wouldn't fall past 
uh, Washington, and Washington's picking eighth right now, and now Washington's talk, supposedly talking about trying to move up. I mean, this is all, it's all positioning, it's all trying to figure out, you know, sort of bluster. It's sort of the, I am always cautious to sort of, once I hear, oh, they're interested in this player, you're like, okay, how much of this is smokescreen, and how much of this is, you know, do we really know that they're interested in the silly put coals in when they drop? I don't think so. We'd certainly heard a lot of other names. So, um, you know, I, that's the thing that stands out to me is that, yes, there's that sort of bluster we'd like to move up. Um, I think the instinct we all had was that they more likely move back and, and uh, um, you know, obviously the OEL news happened right after we recorded last week. Um, uh, you know, and it's all kind of in that mix now. And you look at, you know, are they going to be big players on free agency? I still feel like they would like to make some trades. I think that they look at the, the way to kind of shuffle the roster using that method is still appealing to them. Um, you, you know, so I still look at Connor Garland, a guy who's got you know three years left on his deal. I think is you know fairly paid, but other people perhaps think he's overpaid. But nonetheless, a player that could certainly add something to a lineup. You know, we obviously we've talked a lot about the Blackhawks, um, but there are other teams out there I think that would would find him interesting. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. I do think that this is a team that does feel aggressive. They certainly felt aggressive at the deadline. Uh, that's why I asked the question about were there other moves that you would have liked to have made had you not been hard up against the cap. And Elvin sort of said, no, no, that was never an issue. And you sort of go, well, I'm, you know, nonetheless, I'm sure you would have liked to have been in a better cap position. Well, now they're in that better cap position. So... Um, you know, here we are. We'll see how things shake out. I, 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 like I said, I think their instincts is to try to make something happen, whether that actually involves trading a pick. I mean, trading picks don't happen nearly as often as we talk about it, but they do happen once in a while. Um, so I would be surprised if they moved, but I wouldn't be shocked if they move their pick. Or move out, I should say move around their pick, not move their pick altogether. <laughs> right, but look, we've all been in the same boat of grinding through since the season ended on whatever it was, April the 13th. Uh, this is the payoff now for all of us guys in our business that follow and talk about, and for the fans as well, It just whether it is at the draft and around the draft in Nashville or a week from now in free agency. like We're on the precipice of basically getting the framework of what the Canucks roster is going to look like for next season. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, there was obviously the Tyler Myers question the other day about, you know, it's essentially, yeah, he's going to be here. And, you know, I think how much of that is a factor of Myers having carefully set his no trade list? Uh, the, the sheer fact that, you know, the bonus is, is on, on the page, uh, you know, played well enough at the Worlds. I think, you know, he's a player that I, I can still believe it, you know, in the right sort of spot can be a handy player you don't want to play him too much he's not an offensive contributor at all anymore um we saw that that was you know that wasn't just a choice last year that is how his skill set where he's evolved to you know he's kind of become more of that alex edler type he's going to need to learn to kind of play in the middle of the ice um not get caught wandering and you know i think that's that's where the chaos giraffe moniker comes from um, you know that that if if he's ends up too close to the boards, that's not what you want. But you look at him. You know the Ethan Bear question obviously is a really fascinating one. That was something that we touched on a bit last week. But just now the challenge is how do you actually you know that spot is there? Are you going to qualify him? I thought that was interesting. You know didn't really commit to wanting to qualify him. Um, you know sort of saying listen, there's you know what is your actual value now? Uh, you want you've said you want to be here. How much do you want to be here, um, especially if you're not going to be available till December? So, you know, I'm interested in that. I, I, 
I took the, I mean, I don't know, I'm curious what you thought, Jeff, you know, when, when Alvin listed off all his defense prospects and Jet Wu and, you know, these guys, you know, Philip Johansson, we know they're high on Johansson, but I'm sitting here going, come on, like, the, you know, Wu finally had a good year of play. He finally developed, you know, got out from under, I would say, I think quite clearly, the, the Trent Cull era where, you know, and people might have forgotten, but Jet Wu was playing as a forward two, you know, two, two seasons ago. Um, it looked like he was going nowhere. Now, you know, I think most people say that he's finally found a way um, a little bit. You know, the Canucks are clearly confident in him. But, I, you know, I, I, do, I will be very surprised, nonetheless, if they open the season with the likes of him or Johansson uh, on the NHL roster. Um, I, I do think in the end, the instinct, because they want to make the playoffs, and because of how Rick Tockett wants to play, you know, you're looking for big, bruising defensemen. Well, obviously Luke Shen springs to mind, and we'll see if that happens. Um, but you know that that to me is where they're at. It's, it's just trying to having a sense of what that defense core is actually going to look like next year, and there's still a lot to be done there. There's no doubt about that. Well, if I'm uh, Jack Rathbone or Akita Hirose, I'm probably not excited about what you just said there in terms of what Rick Tockett wants at this blue line, but uh, we'll see how it all shakes out, and it's going to be an interesting week ahead of us here. Yeah, Hirose, I mean, I should have mentioned Hirose is an interesting one. Like, he, you know, a, a guy who showed well, you know, certainly has potential. Let's be cool. Let's, you know, calm down a little bit. Potential to be sort of a, a number six kind of guy, you know, third pairing, you know, cheap, good value depth defenseman. Um, certainly, I think has a good chance of doing that. I don't think Jack. I think he's ahead of Jack Rathbone already in that question. I think, you know, we saw. Not, unfortunately, you know, Jack Jack Rathbone's a great kid. Uh, you know, has been through a lot. I would say in his three years with the Canucks, um, it's three years, right? <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. But you know, you you think about the kind of weirdness. You know, he did sign in the COVID season. Had a you know, a lot of a lot of uh, practice time. A lot of taxi squad time. Had a great year last year. Finally found his way. Obviously, was dealing with the coaching change from above, um, and a management change. And then this year, you know, kind of had the opportunity. wasn't playing. Boudreaux didn't know what to do with him, and then kind of went back to the minors. Didn't play great. Found his way, I would say, at the end of the year, and obviously got those sort of surprise cameos. But uh, you know, I think in the end, we saw the decision making wasn't good enough there. It uh, wasn't quick enough. And I think we saw enough from Hirose to sort of say that he's got a little more, I don't know, brashness to his play um, that that gives him a chance as well. But, yeah, in the end, I think veterans is the way they're going to go. Yeah, and with that left side, too, you couldn't see a Quinn Hughes, Jack Rathbone, and Akito Hirose. There's just, that's not an NHL well, no, absolutely <laughs> uh, not. left side there. Yeah. All right, we're going to let you go, though, yeah. PJ. Uh, enjoy yeah. your day, and we'll be talking to you again uh, next week. Take care, guys. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. As always, many thanks to Patrick Johnston for joining us as he does each and every week here. And he was presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.mortgage. 
Yeah, we're coming to the end of the month, and for some people, that may be the end of their mortgage. And if so, then you better get on it. Uh, if you need a renewal here, or if you know, a lot of closing dates on transactions in real estate happen at the end of the month, if you're looking for a mortgage, if you've got mortgage on your mind, is what I'm getting at here, uh, then you want the help of a mortgage professional. And you really do. Uh, don't go it alone. There's, it's just too complex, too many questions, too much uncertainty out there. And this is where Jason Hominick figures into it. If you listen to Rinkwide, you know we talk about Jason on every episode. And the reason we do is because he can save you money. He's got proven results. He's been at this for a while, uh, 30 years, in fact, in the uh, mortgage game. So uh, look him up, enlist him and his services. Jason Hominick, a mortgage broker. Uh, his website is jason.mortgage. You can't forget. Like, you know, a lot of times you're, what was that? Well, I can't No, jason.mortgage. It's that easy. The whole process can be that easy if you've got Jason on your side. He'd be the first overall pick in the uh, mortgage draft for sure. Jason Hominick, first overall. Yeah? No? Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to envision. I was watching the NBA draft, like, mostly for the get-ups that the guys wear. I'm trying to say like Hominick in this like long suit. Maybe he goes uh, Grady Dick, the guy the Raptors drafted with the red sequins. That was something. Wow. (laughs) Hey, Jason could pull it off though. He could pull it off. All right. I I got some Bodog uh, prop bets here. I want to, I want to bounce off you because they've got some new ones up when it comes to the draft. We talked about Axel Sandin Pelica. They've got him either over or under, 14 and a half in the draft right now. And I like this at plus 125, take the under at 14 and a half. Of course, Button had him at 10. We talked about Zach Benson. This is another guy too that, you know, some people say he's going to be top 10. Some say he isn't going to be. And if you go by what Button's got him at 13 there at under eight and a half, J-Pat plus 205. I don't know if Zach Benson's going to go under the eighth pick, but we'll have to see a local product there. Yeah, but there's, there's a lot of people that think he's one of the most skilled players yeah. in the draft. It's the fact that he's five, nine and a half or three quarters or whatever. It, it feels like his size works against him a little bit, but it, it size wasn't an issue in the Western hockey league, put up massive numbers in Winnipeg. And there are a lot of people that think he is one of the true, truly most talented players in this draft. So we'll see uh, how that all shakes down on Wednesday in Nashville. Yeah, so check it out over at Bodog. They got a bunch of different prop bets uh, uh, centered around the uh, NHL draft, and and they're starting to move. Some of the names are starting to move on the line. So if you want to get someone like you think Mitchkoff is going to go at a certain spot, or you think Fan, well, I think Fantilli's probably lock at second, but maybe you think there's going to be a shakeup there. There's some good odds. So head over to Bodog and check it out. All right. Good week, J-Pat, and a busy one ahead of us. Looking forward to uh, everything that's going to happen around the league this week. Uh, we'll see if we the Canucks make any sort of moves. And, of course, the NHL draft will be the big one for next week. And then free agency opening as well. Busy, busy time of the year for us. Yeah, and, and, and I've had some people asking me, like, are you guys going through the summer? We're not that bold. <laughs> like, we're not going five days a week through this, the, no. the true summer months. So <laughs> another week, we'll be with you every day next week. We'll be with you on Saturday, July 1st, depending on what shakes down with the Vancouver Canucks. But we anticipate that they're going to spend some of their newly found money, cap space, uh, on the first day of free agency. So uh, likely to have uh, a pod on Saturday, July the 1st. And then we'll monitor the situation as needed, as required. But we'll go down to one a week through July and August. So we'll be with you and we'll just kind of compile the news as it is and get together, fire up the old uh, podcaster here. Uh, We're not leaving you hanging. 
But this has been incredible. I mean, like, uh, to pat ourselves on the back here, <laughs> we have pushed out podcasts every day, Monday to Friday, since the Canucks season ended. And here we are. It's been fun, though. Like, honestly, there have been a couple of days where you thought, what are we going to talk about? It's the Canucks. There's always something to talk about, and we have found our way. But, uh, yeah, we're going to step back, scale things back just a little bit, but uh, we'll still have a presence here in the market through July and August. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for shouting us out as well. We we see all the tweets and comments that people are giving us. And Andy Robertson on Twitter uh, sends a shout-out from FLA. Man, you guys are cranking out the content. Thanks for filling my Canucks needs. So thank you, Andy, for the support. And, uh, of course, yeah, as J-Pat said, we'll be scaling it down a little bit, but uh, we'll get you all the essential news that you require. All right, this has been another edition of the Rink Wide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink Wide is the show. Bodog, skip. 